Do you want to know more about vampires, werewolves, zombies, and man-made monsters? Would you like to know more about the classic Universal Monster movies responsible for creating the entire horror genre? Then listen to our podcast, Let's Talk Monsters. Where we discuss everything monsters. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, we're back with another episode of Booby Trap Chat. I'm Mike. Hey, I'm Leanna. And today we want to talk about the letters from Chuck. The last episode of Booby Trap, which was a bonus episode, which I think came out in December of... 2020 featured some of the letters that we had sent to Chuck. So I had sent a letter to Chuck in 2018 and he responded and we went over that. If you guys want to check that out, just listen to that episode. We cover it all. After that, Leanna went on and sent him a series of letters and actually set up sort of a back and forth with him. And uh, and then we kind of left it there in that episode. Well, since then, we reached out to him again via... Isn't it like J-mail or something? Yeah, yeah. It's like J-mail, right. Yeah. And you, yeah. You, you have to buy stamps for each email. It costs, you know, nothing basically, but whatever. It's like a dollar or something. Yeah. And I really, I really didn't think he was going to answer me, but I, I was surprised. He, I sent him an email and he answered. And the first thing he said was, you don't know what you've done to me with that podcast, you know, because in the letter that he had sent me in 2018, he warned me because I was, you know, working on the book. He said, don't publish the book because if you publish the book, you'll regret it. He was like threatening me. Mm -hmm. So he must have found out about the podcast because he knew about it. And this was post podcast. Right. So he said, you know, you don't know what you've done to me. So I don't know what happened to him in prison. I don't know. He also had some misinformation about that. If you remember, he said something about NPR or he cited something that wasn't correct. Remember we were talking about that? Yeah, he made it sound like where he listened to it was on a national radio feed. Mm -hmm. And the podcast was never on a national, like it was never on NPR or the one that he referenced. I can't remember which one he referenced. Mm -hmm. So that made me think, oh, maybe he actually didn't listen to it, but somebody might have told him. Somebody heard it and told him about it. Right, right. So he just lied and said that he had listened to it. I really don't know. It doesn't really matter to me. Mm -hmm. Right. He definitely wasn't happy about it. Right. But what was weird, as usual with Chuck, he seemed open to want to have a discourse with me. Mm -hmm. He goes, we should really 
really just talk on the phone. He goes, they allow us to make phone calls. He said, you know, if you would send me your phone number, we could talk on the phone. Mm -hmm. And so I wrote him back and I said, I'm totally willing to talk to you on the phone, but I need to know before we get on the phone that you will be willing to talk about the things that are related to the story that are related to the book. I said, I don't want to get on the phone with you and have you scold me. (laughs) Right, yeah. Or you claiming to be the champion of Richie's legacy, protecting Richie somehow by preventing Mm -hmm. me from publishing a book. I don't want you preaching to me. I don't want you uh, talking down to me. So I listed about three things. I think one of them was, you know, the orange tank top. Mm -hmm. These are the kinds of things I would like to talk to you about. He wrote me back and he said, oh, you're a psycho. You're sick. (laughs) You're the psycho. He said that I was a psycho and I needed therapy. Yeah. And then he said, I have officially taken a restraining order out against you. Mm -hmm. After that email, I don't know how many days went by. I got another email from him. Uh This is really bizarre because I had also sent one of those J-mail email things to Joseph Carroll, the in quotations, Father Carroll. And he never responded. So I never heard back from him. But what happened was when I sent Joseph Carroll the email after I sent Chuck his first email. So when I went to respond to Chuck's first email, I almost by accident sent it to Joseph Carroll. And I realized that the system that they have there, it automatically defaults to whoever you sent an email the last time. You know, it's not like regular email where it's just blank and then you just add and who you're sending an email to. Right. It actually remembers. And I almost hit send. I would have been sending that second email to Joseph Carroll by accident, but I caught myself at the last minute. I was like, oh no. And I re-entered Chuck's name as the recipient. So now after the second email I got from Chuck, the one where he said he had a restraining order against me, I got an email from him and it wasn't to me. It was addressed to someone else. So he did the same thing. (laughs) Right. I I think he meant to send an email to someone else. And because I was the last person he had sent an email to, he hit send and it actually went to me. Right. And it was really creepy because it was addressing a person. I can't remember what their name was, but it was, I think it was a female name, like a Betty or a Bonnie or something like that. Mm -hmm. Right. Maybe that's his girlfriend with the son in New York. Perhaps. Yeah. And then he said, have you had any success getting Mick's phone number? Mm -hmm. He spelt my name M-I-C-K as opposed to Mike, but Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure that he was fishing around in there trying to somehow get my phone number. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what he would do with it other than call me. I I don't, you know, maybe there's some way that he can get a hold of me if he just has a bit of my personal information that somehow he can, because I don't think he's allowed to go online. No, no, no. I'm sure he's not. He's a predator. They won't let him online. Um, or if they do, it's just, a, it's all set up for just whatever basic stuff. Yeah. And then you sent him a Yeah, Gmail, I was just right? going to say, yeah. I sent, well, I sent him the last email that I think we talked about where I was just like, I was just kind of, I was getting real frustrated as well because he just wanted to talk about his life. And I think he didn't respond to that last letter I sent. Because it was pretty direct and I wasn't very nice in it. And uh, he said that if I contacted him again, that I would be creating a legal document, you know, that was like a cease and desist, basically. Right. So when I sent him, when I responded that he didn't respond to me and I sent him another email, just a real short one, you know, and I was pretty confident. I think I bought like $10 worth of this J-mail right. thing. <laughs> right, and right. So I think I ended up sending him the rest of them. I I just sent them to him because I was like, I'm not going to use them, you know? And I think there's probably a part of me that was like, 
you know, maybe he'll, he won't have any self-control and he'll use one and he'll, you know, send me another email. But yeah, he sent me something and it was like, congratulations, you've just created a legal document, blah, 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 you know, and right. I'm like, whatever. So that was the end of that. Right. The thing that gets me, it's just how much in denial this guy is. I mean, he does not, he obviously does not realize how many lives he's ruined. No, he's a narcissist and he he's a psycho. Yeah. People are still contacting me, some of his victims from a very long time ago. I mean, we're talking right. boys that he molested in the 1960s. I mean, we're talking about people who were in their 50s, 60s, you know, and it scarred them, you know, it's, it's stayed with them. Not to mention the list of our friends who are no longer with us, right? Yeah, yeah. So like Willard Allensworth, Richie, right. uh, Neil Manjone, Tony Simmons. And these are mm -hmm. all people who died way too early and most likely scarred by Chuck. I read somewhere and I can't remember where I saw or heard this, but it made a lot of sense to me. It said that um, sexual abuse in children festers over a lifetime or so, I'm paraphrasing, but that festers because we see how, what the behavior is, is people don't, they're not really open about talking about it and you got to talk it out. It just, it takes over your, you know, your health and your body and they develop all kinds of different, not just mental things, but also physical, right? Yeah. Because they have this kind of trauma. Yeah. So anyway, and I, well, I think this goes without saying, but I, I also never heard from Carrie. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. I think I was kind of holding out some hope for that as well. But you found her, right? Yeah. I found her on Facebook. And I immediately, I recognized her, even though all this time has gone by. And she just uses her maiden name. And um, I think her maiden name and her, probably her married name. But she looks like she has a really regular life. She has a, I guess she became a lawyer and she's got an office in New York. And she's got a kid who went off to college, I think. And she just seems like she's a pretty normal person. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting how another one of our friends, childhood friends, contacted us after the podcast. And he had a very young mother. Uh, his mom was really young when she had him. And she was friends with Chuck. And she was probably around Chuck's age. Mm. And the main connection there was that she was dating some guy who was like 10 years younger than she was. You know, he was like 21 and she was like 31 or 32 or something like that. Mm -hmm. But this guy who... We know his name. Uh, we're not mm -hmm. going to say it, but he was one of Chuck's henchmen. And we know who this guy is. And I mean, I guess the big question here is how much do these people know? Because of the fact that Chuck was not prosecuted for any of the sexual abuse in 1983, after the Jerry incident, all of the people that were associated with that timeline, so all of the boys that were molested in the 70s up into the early 80s, when Chuck was still married to Carrie, when this other person was living at Chuck's house, this guy who was dating our friend's mom, right? they were all there. Okay, they were right. part of it. Now, we don't know to what degree they participated or, participated right. or helped or anything, right? The mm -hmm. point is, is that since Chuck was not convicted or not even, no charges like that were even filed against him. Right. So they all more or less dodged a bullet. They All of them. They all They, they literally all side-skirted that whole issue. Yeah. When Chuck was eventually arrested for sexual abuse, the child abuse, all of that stuff, it was later on when he wasn't hanging out with any of those people. Right. You see what I'm saying? So he had already yeah. divorced Carrie 
Jerry by then. And, and this other guy wasn't hanging out with Chuck anymore. Right. So, okay, so that's what happened. And okay, yes, Chuck got what he deserved and everything. But if we go back to, <laughs> we know because we have the depositions, we know that Chuck was abusing young boys in the 70s and early 80s. And we know that Chuck was married to Carrie at the same time. And we know that this guy was living with Chuck at the same time. And some of these kids who have contacted us now have told us that those people were around, right? Right, right. So I don't know what the statute of limitations is, but at bare minimum, these people could help Let's say they're all innocent. Let's say Carrie had nothing to do with it. And, you know, like you said before, Chuck was manipulating her, whatever. Let's just let's just go with that. She right. could still add a lot to, you know, the oh, information. She definitely has information, whether she understood what was happening then, because also because everyone's eating quaaludes in the house and there's Coke and there's pot. I mean, it was a party house. Not just for, not just with the Boy Scouts. I mean, our friend's mom was there partying. Carrie, they're all, you know, right. we heard stories about a fight and that's a bit of a mind eraser, right? That's going to make you forget things. You know, they were young. I mean, I, you know, when I was a kid, like I think he was 31, like that, that was old. That was already old. But think about yourself at 31 or somebody now at 31 and it's really young. It is young. You know? Yeah. And those, and she was like 26 years old, but I feel like because of the nature of his personality and what he was doing and that narcissistic predatory nature that he had, I think a lot of what was going on with her is that he was just gaslighting the shit out of her. You know, I think she was young. I don't think she was sophisticated. She might have been suspicious about stuff. Maybe if she brought it up, he just ran right over the top of her with something else, you know? Right. I kind of feel like it's likely, even when you look at the pictures of them together, you know, there's a photo of the two of them in a courthouse in Palm Beach that's really good. He's sitting down. She's like kneeling next to his chair or whatever he's sitting in. I mean, she, I don't know. I And I can't, I can only speak to what I remember of about her is that she was, quiet. She didn't speak a lot, you know? And, uh, you know, like I, I was in the house a few times. I, I remember trying to get her on my side one time cause they were going to see, yes, I begged them to take me to the show with them. And, uh, I, as if she had any pull with him to begin with. <laughs> right. And that, that concert was most likely at the Miami Sportatorium, right? If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. 
For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. Hollywood Sportatorium. Everything was at the Hollywood Sportatorium then. I don't think I saw a show anywhere else. Back then, that was all undeveloped. Right. So it was right. You're going yeah. west. You're going towards the Everglades. And there was this little two lane highway. Mm-hmm. And whenever there was a concert, I mean, the traffic you had to leave. I remember I went and saw Aerosmith with my friend Richard Clark and his sister. The concert wasn't starting until eight. And I think we left the house <laughs> at like two in the afternoon. Yeah. To go somewhere that if there's no traffic would take you maybe 45 minutes to get yeah, there. You yeah, know? Yeah. But that was part of the experience. Yeah. Because you would like later on. I mean, I was going there from the time I was probably 13 or something. Um, the drive there was, that was like the party. That place had the worst sound. Uh, it was, <laughs> it, the acoustics in there were just horrible. And I saw every single band that you could name from that time. And it was always too loud or just phantom spots where you wouldn't hear any bass or you wouldn't hear any of this or that. It was just horrible. And it was an old hockey rink, I think. It was yeah. originally built for hockey. And they had these really high ceilings. Like in the front, there was like a upper deck and it had really high ceilings. And at the top of the ceilings, they had these huge fan ducts, you know, yeah. Yeah. Like, and yeah, they were so big, that. they were industrial sized. Yeah. And you could climb up. It was like 50 feet up and they would climb and sit on those air conditioning yeah. or fan ducts and watch the concert from up there. I feel like Cameron Crowe kind of nailed it with Almost Famous, like that scene where the mom's dropping him off in the parking lot. And I'm like, oh my God, this is the Hollywood Sportatorium. Right. Because it was such an event, like to go to a concert like that. And do you remember tickets? Like I saved my ticket stubs up until a few years back. They got lost in the shuffle of a move or something. I don't know. Yeah. But I remember they were like $7.50. Oh, they were cheaper than that. Cheaper than that. For a concert ticket. Five, six fifty, five dollars six fifty. And they were beautiful ticket. They they were colorful and they had like, you know, the logo or the band on it. And I have a story about those. I used to save all of mine. I, I lost them years right. ago as a kid. Yeah, me too. But there was the famous Aerosmith concert, the one that I was just mm-hmm. referencing. Right. In 1978. Now, mm-hmm. the story with this was that Aerosmith was on tour. It was the Draw the Line tour. Mm -hmm. And they had recently played a show in Detroit and somebody, some idiot, threw an M80 up on stage. An M80 is like one of those gnarly firecrackers. It's like a quarter stick of dynamite. And it exploded near Joe Perry's hand and they had to stop the tour. Mm -hmm. I think he had to get stitches or something. They almost just canceled the whole tour. Wow. They were so pissed. And the next show was in Miami. And so Mm -hmm. after taking... Right. (laughs) Hollywood. Right. And after taking like a month off, they played in Hollywood at the Sportatorium. And that was the show we were at. And so they start playing and they're about three songs in. I think it was Sweet Emotion or something. And some idiot throws a pack of firecrackers on the stage. They used to throw firecrackers there all the time. Steven Tyler just goes, you guys are fucking assholes. And they they stopped playing and they just walked off and the lights went on. And we were like, oh, my God, we only got to see three songs. And we drove all the way out here. But to finish that story, after about a half an hour, the lights went off and they came back and they finished the set. But that's not the part that's related to the ticket stub. So what happened was 
Meanwhile, outside, there was only two bands that night. It was Mahogany Rush mm-hmm. uh, was the opener. My friend Richard and I were out on the balcony and we were looking at the gate right. where you would give the tickets and go in the turnstiles or whatever. And they had like those right. chain fences up like, yeah. and they used to have barbed wire yeah. on top of the. <laughs> and so. Yeah, because we were animals. So we're wa- up there watching and all of a sudden this fight breaks out uh-huh. and. Before you know it, there's a full-on riot going on. Oh All of the people who are out there are pushing and pushing, and they're, they're pushing against the fence. There are guys climbing over the fence, getting cut by the barbed wire. Uh, there's people throwing punches. Basically, all the ticket takers, whatever you want to say, they just left. They just said, okay, it's a free concert from this point on. Right, right. Because they didn't want to deal with it. Of course. So long story short is that there were two kinds of tickets sold. There were the tickets that were sold in advance, which I had. It was a green ticket. But then there were other ones that were gray. My brother had the gray one and he bought his like maybe a day before the show. And I think there was a situation where they might have sold too many tickets. (laughs) Yeah. And and they weren't going to let everyone in because it was beyond capacity. And I think that's the reason why there was a riot and people started pushing. My brother showed up right after the riot and he saw that the gates were wide open. So he just walked right in. He just So the next day when we're putting our ticket stubs, um, we used to put them on the mirror, you know, like you just sort of Mm -hmm. slide them. Mm -hmm. So I had mine there that was ripped in half and my brother's was whole. He had his whole ticket. So what that meant was if you had the whole one, that meant that you most likely either missed the riot or you were part of the riot. Whereas if you had the ripped one, you got there before the riot. So it actually like (laughs) described when you actually were there. And like how you, you know, perceived the whole thing. There was an REO Speedwagon show when I was probably, I might have still been 14 or 15. And, you know, I'm like 5'3". So getting in that general admission area is a little sketchy for me. Generally, everyone's taller than me. Yeah. And people started to try to like push to get to the front of the stage. Yeah. And it created this swaying in the audience. And then I think people were making that worse. But it got really intense and scary. Like, oh, yeah. you would sway like 10 feet over to one side, mm-hmm. one second, and then, and you could barely stay on your feet. It was crazy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I got stuck in the middle of that one time and it was horrifying. Yeah. Like a bunch of kids died in Cincinnati at the Who concert in the same situation. It was just, it was one of those push fests. And uh, yeah, I think I was in 77 or 78, somewhere around there. But the first concert I ever went to was um, Rush. And I think we were dating at that time. That was in like uh, the spring of 78. And it was one of those things where I didn't have a ticket. Mm -hmm. And I think I called you and I said, hey, my brother and some of his friends are going to Rush. And then you were just like, oh, you know, go for it. You know, it's cool because I don't think your mom would have let you go or something. It's not. I'm still mad at you for that, actually. (laughs) And so so I just like got in the car with my brother and some of his friends and we drove over there. And it wasn't my first time seeing a rock band. I I had been to like outdoor festivals and stuff like that. But it was my first time at the Hollywood Sportatorium. Going back to what you were saying about the pushing and all of that. So we get inside. Right. And I'm with Mark Lurvey and Mark's a little guy like me. You you know, Mark. Mm -hmm. Mark's a bit older than I am. Very scrappy and a tough guy, you know. And so my brother, I don't know, he got lost. He just like wandered off somewhere. Mark grabs me by the arm and he says, come on, we're going to the front. 
front. Oh God. And we, <laughs> and I'm just right behind him. He's like my blocker, you know, and, and mm-hmm. he's just cutting through people, just pushing them out of the way, shoving them. And man, we got all the way to the front board. I stood right next to him and he goes, grab onto that board. This is where we're going to stay for the whole night. <laughs> and we watched Head East, Pat Travers, and then Rush. <laughs> and, and the whole time we're standing there right at the board with the, the bouncers like standing in front of us. And freaking right, right. Getty Lee is like standing right above me. I mean, I, like I had like my neck got sore because I was looking straight up, you know, for the whole show. <laughs> yeah. It was the tour where, uh, like I said, it's Farewell to King. So that's right. the really trippy one where they mm-hmm. show the spaceship like, you know, and yeah. the, with the whole backdrop stuff, the little like animated yeah. film thing they would show while they were playing. Uh, it, it was great. It was just it was a great first concert, you know. Mm-hmm. I got left out there one time. I got stranded out there and luckily I was with someone else. But you had to walk from the Sportatorium. To I and I think it might have been. I'm hoping it was University Drive and not 441. But you had to walk a long way to get a phone because you had to get to a phone to call someone to come and pick you up. Yeah, uh, it was a lot of fun. That's all I can say. Those, you know, once again, those were good times. Anybody that grew up in that South Florida area remembers the Hollywood Sportatorium. Yeah, and what's so sad about it is that in the decades that followed, the whole area has been so developed. Yeah, no, it's all it's all housing. Yeah. Yeah. So where the Sportatorium used to be is now like it's like yeah, they're like townhomes. It, yeah, it's yeah. part of it's like all developed, and it's kind of hard to even imagine that world. Yeah, I, I know because I took that drive down memory lane a few years back before I moved out of South Florida. I went to see a movie or something out there because they weren't showing the movie I wanted to see anywhere else. And it occurred to me the address and I was like, wait a minute. The Hollywood Sportatorium is right around here. And we drove west and there's no trace of any of that. Because like you're saying, it's all developed. The road is wide, you know? Yeah. So yeah. One of the things I've said about Miami, and I talked a little bit about this in the in the Booby Trap podcast, there are very few cities that are like Miami that, in my opinion, have a very interesting past, a very interesting history. Yet the developers in the community have no nostalgia for that at all. And right. they've done a really poor job of protecting historical sites. And it's like they don't care. And they don't realize that you're just like obliterating my past. And these places now only exist in my memories. There are places I can go to in San Francisco that were there 60 years before I was born, are still there now, and will be there 60 years after I die, you know? Because a city like San Francisco values its history. That's the problem with South Florida. I mean, they're just obliterating things. And, you know... Yeah, it's just a developer's haven, yeah. Right. So people like us, we want to go, hey, let's go to that. Let's see if that place is still there. Remember when we bought that thing? It's like, no, there's like a condo there now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's, there's like, you don't even know where you are. Like the ride on uh, Sunny Isles Boulevard when you're going towards yeah. Collins Ave. Yeah. My dad used to have a little pizza shop mm-hmm. right off of Collins Avenue over there. And it was a big part of my childhood. Right. That whole area now is, if I parachuted in, I wouldn't even know where I was. <laughs> it's unrecognizable. And they didn't just build new buildings. They even regridded it. Like, so there's just, yeah. you know, the, the roads don't even go the same way. Like, no. it's it's really weird. Yeah, because the one takes you right into Turnberry and Aventura. Right. Anyway, yeah, that's that's just a bit of nostalgia about our old stomping ground and the old Hollywood Sportatorium. Yeah. Is there anything else you wanted to mention about the carry thing? I mean, just one of the things that I would say is uh, we don't really know, like to this day, we don't know how much she knew. But one of the things I could say is that I have transcripts from the court proceedings and she certainly st- 
stood up for Chuck. She believed in him. She really put her reputation on the line right. as uh, his spouse. And she didn't hesitate at all. I mean, she spoke of him in a glowing fashion. It's like, I can't believe, you know, my husband is being convicted of this stuff. Something must have gone wrong, you know, something like that. Right. So right. that means either A, she was completely in the dark and yeah. Chuck just hoodwinked her or yeah. she did know what was going on and she was just lying through her teeth. Yeah. And we just don't know. So well, we don't know anything about her, so we can't really speak to her character. Right. Now, I think there's two boys, men now, that said that they believed that she, oh yeah, she knew what was going on. But there was also somebody that said that said that they believed that she had no idea what was going on. Right. So again, you just kind of gotta go with your whatever your kind of gut feeling or your intuition is on it, I guess, because we don't we have no background, anything. We don't know anything about her. Right. I guess we'll just leave it at that for now. That's all we can do, right? That's our update on sort of the correspondences that have gone back and forth since Booby Trap came out. Um, I guess we'll be back with another episode like this. Um, I kind of like this format of you know, doing some updates, but then also including a little bit of light stuff, you know? Yeah, maybe next time we can talk about TJ. Yeah, Thomas Jefferson, Junior High. Oh, some great stories <laughs> in that one. Bye. If you like this podcast, please subscribe. Leave us five stars and a review. Thanks. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Do you want to know more about vampires, werewolves, zombies, and man-made monsters? Would you like to know more about the classic Universal Monster movies responsible for creating the entire horror genre? Then listen to our podcast, Let's Talk Monsters. Where we discuss everything monsters. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts.